Hi, Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Volkwein's Music, a full-service shop that's been meeting the musical needs of musicians for over 135 years. They offer a huge selection of instruments, accessories, music, and more. They also have an unmatched instrument repair department with some of the most experienced technicians in the business. For years, they've serviced my personal and school instruments, and their attention to detail is why I and professional musicians from around the globe trust Volkwein's to service their gear. Head over to volkweinsmusic.com to see what they can do for you. That's V-O-L-K-W-E-I-N-S music.com. Helping people discover music since 1888. Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Welcome, podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. Joining us today is violinist Charlie Stegman. Charlie is the concert master for the Pittsburgh Opera and Ballet and heads the string department at Duquesne University. His list of teachers is a who's who of the 20th century's most renowned string pedagogues. And for the past 50 years, he's averaged over 60 concerts a year in North America, Europe, South America, and Asia. Beyond his performing and teaching accolades, Charlie is well known for his artistic vision in the creation of music festivals, including the Sunflower Music Festival and the Buzzards Bay Music Festival. Charlie, thanks for being on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Nick. This is part two of our interview with Charles Stegman. Well, and I can imagine uh, public relations is an important part of of that community engagement through festivals and that sort of thing. Um, and I imagine you've you've done a fair amount of public relations appearances and talks and speaking yes. to crowds and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and that's something that with a lot of young artists that I work with, they're very reluctant and oftentimes even scared of doing that. Is that something that came naturally to you or, and, and, you know, so what, did, what tips or advice might you give to someone who, who isn't, you, uh, you seem like you're, it comes rather naturally to you, uh, but maybe it's from experience. I think it is from a lot of experience. Okay. Um, yeah. I think the, but the advice I can give you, yeah. and I think why I'm successful is because you have to have an absolute conviction mm-hmm. that what you're asking for is two things. Number one, absolutely right. And number two, absolutely serves the one you're talking to. Mm. And if it doesn't have both of those things, it's not going to happen. So like in Crested Butte, I went to the board. I said, if we do this, we're going to raise the value of your land and your, you know, your rental properties and all that stuff. And if you look at it, there's historical perspective to that. So, you know, if you go look at Mad King Ludwig, who built all those crazy castles, they actually did a study that if they'd done anything else with the money it would have raised one-tenth 
of the res- revenue that the uh, that those castles brought through tourism. Gertrude Stein is another fine example. She had two brothers. They're from Pittsburgh. They were all from a very well-to-do steel family. She went and became a bohemian in Paris and gave money to everybody that was anybody at that time. And when she passed away, she left a billion-dollar estate, whereas the two other brothers who did very well, you know, they, they managed to with it through. They had like, I don't know, 30 million and maybe 50 million. I can't remember the actual numbers. But it was not even a tenth of what she left. Yeah. So at that point, you say, you know what? The arts work. And if you're convinced that you're doing the right thing, then that's, uh, yeah. that's going to work. So for me personally, yeah. you know, early, early on, I learned that you need to have a mission statement. And that's thanks to having taught at uh, music school. I think it was Conservatory of Independence, Missouri. Uh, and that was run by a for, the former CEO of Bon Ami, who was a Harvard MBA graduate. And he ran it like a Fortune 500 company. He <laughs> said, if you don't have a reason for doing it, shut up, get out. And that was exactly right. Um, so mm. you have to have your own mission. Who are you? Why are you? Who are you for? Yeah. And once you have that, it's less scary to go up and ask for $100,000. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of so. hinted, hinted at this before, but what goes through your – what's your thought process when you're programming repertoire for a festival? I mean, I like to eat, obviously. And so I look at it like a meal. And so there's an appetizer. You know, there's a salad. There is, you know – amuse bouche or whatever you want to call it then there is a main plate you're going to have to deal with a vegetable and, and then you a cheese plate and then a dessert and then coffee and hopefully a wheelbarrow to carry you out so i look at a at a at a at repertoire that way and i think you know for like the orchestra stuff that's relatively easier than the chamber music you know you have an overture you have a concerto mm-hmm. you, you know maybe there's some other small piece you want to add in there and then you have a symphony. And luckily with our size at most of these festivals, there's it's almost endless what you can play. Do you ever commission music? Yes. Yep. For a festival? Yep. Uh, we commissioned, I think, three pieces for Sunflower at least. We commissioned Bruce Broughton, who did Silverado, to do, uh, I think that was our th- 25th anniversary. He came out and conducted it. He's a wonderful composer for for Los Angeles. I mean, internationally famous. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a a beautiful uh, concerto for orchestra for us, which was lovely. We commissioned um, uh, Susan Kariyama, who's a composer, arranger, producer in Los Angeles, to do a a version of Home on the Range for us Mm. when we were celebrating Topeka's whatever it was, 150th or something like that. Uh, and we've commit, yeah, we've commissioned others as well. Yeah. And those are people that you knew beforehand because I mean, you seem to have a direction and an idea, a vision of what you want. And do you work closely with them or do you just say here, this is what I want. Just bring it back. My mother was a portrait painter. So I tend to identify who the artist is going to be. And Bruce Broughton, again, my wife, uh, did, I think all his movies, uh, mm-hmm. up until a certain point. And uh, she said he was great, beautifully classically trained, elegant, elegant composer. So I went to him and then I gave him carte blanche. I said, here's the deal. Here's how long. Here's our instrumentation. This is what I'd like to see within it. And that's what we got. Um, That's kind of the way I do it. Pick Mm -hmm. the artist and then 
give them artistic uh, freedom. Yeah. Right? And so we've kind of already discussed uh, about how hyper-competitive the classical uh, music world can be from a performer's standpoint anyways. Um, how have you seen it change throughout your career and where do you see opportunities for young artists in the future? That's a really good question. Yeah, I don't think my field has changed much. Um, I mean, COVID certainly messed that up. I have, you know, I have a kind of personal feeling i've always felt that classical music's been gunned after um called dark forces the evil empire i don't really care what you call it but if you go through movie scores and i'm going to quote one if you look at some of all fears which is a really cool movie 20 years old ben Mm -hmm. affleck morgan freeman just a terrific plot if you listen to the light motif of the hero, it's all hip hop and cool, and he's super cool, and everything's cool. And the bad guys, they're listening to Puccini and Wagner. It's mm. like, okay, fine. And they're also very intelligent, clearly cultured. So <laughs> those are the bad guys. But when you look at that, that's what's happened to classical music. You know, it's mm. like, oh, we can't have that. That's a feat snobs. We, we wouldn't like that stuff. So um, I think there's those of us who make it happen have to make it happen. So to a certain extent, society is just going down on brains, independent thought, independent voice, and the classical arts. Okay, fine. So it's our job to fight that. Um, doesn't necessarily make you popular, but uh, it feels good. I mean, at least to me, I enjoy the, the, the challenge. And I think what I tell uh, you know, my students is that don't, don't listen to any of that stuff. Just go do it. There's always people who are going to tear you down or tear something down or try to wreck you. That's fine. Go yep. for it. More listen. More negative you get, the better you should feel about what you're doing because clearly it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and if enough people really loathe it, then you know you're on the right track. <laughs> um, and that's, so that's a little bit reverse engineering psychologically. But you have to learn how to take hardship and say, yeah, bring it on, guys. Come on. Yeah. My teacher was worse than you. I mean, so... Yeah. Juilliard and Curtis wasn't all all smiles. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a great Oscar Wilde quote, I, and I'm going to get it wrong because I always get quotes wrong. But uh, <laughs> has something to do with um, uh, an idea that's not dangerous is no idea at all, or something. Yeah, like I that. think that's, Just, this that's, notion. This notion of polarizing ideas. Oftentimes, the more polarized there are, there's the the more there's something there, right? Yeah, and to that end, when I was a kid growing up 700 years ago, you could tell the orchestras apart because it was a different structural process that brought the musicians to it. So you could tell the Cleveland Orchestra from Philly, from Boston, and that was cool. That means each one is its own instrument. At this point, you know, through the digital mastery of what you can do in a recording as well, they all tend to sound pretty much alike. You have to really know your stuff to tell them apart from a casual listen you'd have to you know i can't do it and i'm I'm in the field so i look at it and say well yeah so it's been homogenized and pasteurized to the point where it's all pretty pretty limited and um you know i i did the the symphonic stuff it was not fun i don't like being you know tuxedos or tails and looking real stiff i don't think that's human anymore i mean fred astaire lived that life but that's from the 30s and 40s and 50s. We're, we're not there anymore. So that needs to change. Opera's way cooler and ballet's way cooler. You're just playing the pit. Everybody's cool. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's enjoying basically, you know, 19th century MTV. It's kind of fun. Yeah. 
So, Charlie, we met through our mutual friend, Jack, and he's right. had me in to play at the Sunflower Music Festival many times over the years. And while there, I've spoken with some of the festival's donors, and they seem to really believe in your mission. Could you give our listeners advice on how to approach and cultivate donors for their initiatives? That's a really good question. You know, I have never actively cultivated donors. I have made friends. I have a lot of friends in in Kansas City and in Topeka and the environments. These are great people. I enjoy hanging out with them. And, you know, the board itself pulls that out of its community. And, I mean, we're all basically friends. So, I, I you know, it's not fundraising. It's friend raising. Yeah. And, um, That's a great point. Yeah, I think it's important to remember, again, it's serving a community. So this idea of getting something from somebody to do this because you want to do it, it's a little bit weird for me. I I don't mind saying, you know what, let's bring this to your town and we'll bring it to the Children's Museum and we'll bring it to the Rotary and Knights of Columbus and let's just go do it. And that's kind of what what that's how we did it. So you're not approaching this as, you know, an arts patron from 17th century. You're sitting around a table, and how can we work together to, to yeah. create something bigger than ourselves? Yeah. yeah, the other thing to remember is no one person is giving, you know, it's not like the Medici's where they're, you know, it's a right. whale of a gift, you know, and they're the ones who control it and, and donate it. There's a lot of very generous people, and they're all, but the generosity is genuine, and it's not for control. It's just there because they want to give this to their town. Yeah. And they have the the ability to do so. That's that's a really cool thing. That's yeah. community service. That's community effort. And you know, you have to give to the boys club and uh, Boy Scouts, and you have to give to you know the choir, and you have to give to the symphony that's in town. And that's their community, and they're building that community. And I do that here with my people. That's yeah. I think what it's all about. Yeah, great. Charlie, in preparation for this interview, I was reading reading a bunch of articles about you and your bio and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, and it's great hearing you talk about a lot of these things that have been very successful. Uh, and while doing that, it occurred to me that Nick and I often don't ask our interviewees about things that maybe didn't go as well as as they had they had imagined. Um, and so, you're going to be the first person that that I ask this question to on on this podcast is so all of these things are amazing and great is there something that you'd be willing to talk about that maybe you tried and um, didn't quite go the way you wanted it to and perhaps more importantly uh, what you learned from that experience yeah I think we fail all the time I mean every day there are more failures than successes and uh, As far as failures, I mean, ultimately, Music Fest Midwest, which was something I tried in Johnson County, Mm. with a wonderful group of people, again, just really good friends, did not work out uh, long term. And what I learned is that no matter how good the idea may be, it might not be the right time or the right place or the right uh, reasons. And so... um, I learned that, you know, if it's don't fight resistance that's foundational. Mm. So, you know, we did it for five years uh, through the grace and elegance of the executive director who just would not let go. And it was an amazing testament to her tenacity. Um, 
And a lot of really wonderful things came out of it. So it wasn't a failure in the sense of really not working, but it was a failure in as much as it didn't go where it could have gone. Um, yeah. You know, and that that would have been interesting. Um, uh, also, don't underestimate powerful forces in the community that may not want that to happen. You know, and there's and, and for good reason too. It's not necessarily negative against you. It's more positive for them and controlling whatever the arts are a, a squirrely squirrely place yeah and uh you know i have future projects we're going to see if that works i'd love to franchise orchestras yeah. i'm tired of seeing 70 percent of the budget go to management so stuff like that now that's yeah. not going to be real popular i can assure you <laughs> but uh might be the perfect thing to do when you're 75 to 80 where you just don't care so we'll yeah. see yeah yeah. But yes, one learns from one's mistakes. Yeah, and I, you know, like you mentioned, it, you know, whether you want to call that a failure or not, it didn't work out long term. You know, you tried some things that didn't quite pan out the way you wanted it to. I, I think it's also, you know, I think when we hear the word failure, we think it's like some epic explosion that just blows up in our face, that sort of thing. But that isn't always what a failure is, right? There's reasons why things fail, and like you explained, sometimes you can't control them. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've not taken first place in everything I entered either. You know, right. that's perfectly okay to take second or third or, sure. you know, scrub out completely. Uh, most of the times, like, for instance, in performance. So if I go to a, a competition, you know, uh, I went to the Montreal, got scrubbed out in the first round. I didn't take it seriously. I learned my lesson. The next competition that I had, um, I beat out the winner of that. So you sit there and say, okay. Yeah. You know, it's he, he he was meant to win that. He's a great player and that was his time for his life. Yeah. And for me I had my time when I needed it. And I think to a certain extent there's room for all of it, so maybe that's a good lesson to learn is there is no real loss, you know. Yeah. Not trying it might be the only one. Yeah. Yeah. That's good statement. That's great. Yeah. yeah. As a string teacher for future performers, how much of an emphasis do you place on the business side of music? Oh. <laughs> A lot. Yeah, because basically I asked them, you know, do you want to make a living with this? And if so, how? And then I said, do you understand? Because then I have to really point out that you've got to be not on the instrument. You've got to deliver 100% of what you're capable of. If you do that, you have a place on this planet because it's there. If you don't, there will be a place, but it won't be that one. And uh, at a certain point, there won't be a place. So then I say, if you're going to be successful, then you must consider what it is you're going to do, who you're going to do with it, and why you're going to do it. So I make all my students do that. I've had some students write grants. I had a Brazilian student that wrote a grant for the local government there for $80,000, and he got it, and he changed the entire universe for six towns. And, wow. you know, that's super cool. I've got another one doing that in northern Brazil who's just completely changing the universities and everything else yeah. through, uh, you know, excellence in music. So I, I do tell them to have a personal uh, mission and vision and goals and all those things. I have one. I make sure that they have one. I make sure that they understand how this works. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to get better on the violin and it'll all work because that ain't going to be the case. Yeah. Whether so, you have a destination or not, you're going to get there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And if you don't choose it, something else will. Yeah. And that may not be in your best interest. So I push really hard on that to the point where sometimes they get pretty cranky about it. I said, look, but I've got 70 of them making a living playing. 
yeah, which out great. of a dippy little Catholic school in Western Pennsylvania is not so bad. <laughs> well, I think I don't know. I, I I think you're. I think that's right. I mean, I think about sort of the ethical issues. You know, I teach at the college level as well. I think about the ethical issues of teaching someone, and they're because they're investing in the time that they're spending in your classes. And if you're not giving them something that they can use on the other side of that, I feel there's. I feel there's an ethical issue on our behalf to to tell to help them with that Correct. aspect of it. And, and, you know, there's also the ethics of talent. Now, I teach primarily at Christian schools, so I'll stay off the topic as much as possible, but there's a moral element as well. Sure. You're given a gift or you're given resources, okay. you must develop that, whether for religious purpose or just for your own, you know, well-being and edifications. You have to do that. So we push pretty hard. Interesting, yeah. Well, Charlie, we've reached the point of the interview where we ask all of our interviewees the same three questions. And the first question is, what advice would you give to others wanting to become an arts entrepreneur in your art form? Don't let anybody talk you out of it. There's nothing you cannot do. Go for it. Perfect. Great. What can we do to ensure the arts are more accessible and reaching the widest possible audience? Create as much work for the art form that you're uh, trying to sustain Put it in a community's eyes. Make it happen wherever you can. Get disciples to do the same thing wherever they can. Network the whole silly thing and keep that up for 100 years. <laughs> and uh, what's the best artistic or entrepreneurial advice anyone has ever given you? <sighs> Just don't let anybody take the wind out of your sails. If you believe in it and it's meant to be, it's going to happen. So. Just don't take no for an answer. Don't yeah. take no for an answer might be a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But over time, you know, with enough relentless persuasion, things tend to happen anyway. So, yeah, yeah just stick to it. I think, I think we've heard that before, Nick. No means not yet. Or that, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember, yeah. can't remember who, who that was. But, yeah. No, I think it, a no is uh, a first introduction, and you know, eventually, it it can be a yes once it becomes real for them. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah but being persistent, I think that's what the yeah. uh, context yeah. was. So, yeah. well, thanks so much, Charlie. This has been a, a fantastic interview, and I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Great, that yeah, was fun to do it. Great to to see you both. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. Mm-hmm.